favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. There. Welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. I'm your host, Tracy Fredikowski. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have Amish fiction author Deborah Torres, who will introduce us to her latest release, Forbidden Truth, which is the second in her Secrets of the Pen series. Hello, Deborah. How are you today? Hi, Tracy. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I have lots to talk about. One being, we want to hear more about Forbidden Truth. But before we do that, our listeners really enjoy listening to some of their favorite authors explain to them about their journey at becoming uh, an author. So do you mind if I ask you some questions about your writing career? Yeah, that would be great. All right. So my first question for you today is how do you balance making demands on the reader with taking care of the reader? So this question, I read it a little bit before and I was like, what does that mean? And I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, I'm just going to have to ask Tracy. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, I think I know the answer to that. So let me just tell you. So I basically, a lot of times when I write, I, um, I am challenging my readers to think out of the box when it comes to Amish fiction. Um, I think a lot of times our Amish fiction books can be very similar to each other in that the story is a sweet storyline and nothing ever really major heart-wrenching happens sometimes in some Amish books. It, did that happen to me as a book, a reader of Amish fiction? I came to a point where I just needed a little bit more. And so my challenge, the demands I have on my readers is I'm asking them to think out of the box a little bit when it comes to Amish fiction. But then the second part of your question, when it says taking care of the reader, is in my Amish fiction, I don't ever want to bridge that line of writing something where they feel uncomfortable reading it, where they're like, you know what, I, I really like her books, but you know, all those swear words, you know, or all those sex scenes and things like that. So those are that's where demands is let's think a little bit outside the box, but we're not going to cross any lines that would make them feel uncomfortable. That was perfect. That was exactly what I was looking for. Oh. So you answered that perfectly. Good. So tell me, you know, this is a funny question, but um, as a writer, what would you choose as your mascot or avatar or your spirit animal if you wanted to pick an icon that would represent Deborah Torres? Yeah, this is a funny question. And actually, uh, interviews I've been in, people have been like, you know, what animal would you would represent you? I don't really know what interviewees are trying to get at when you ask that. But so I'm prepared, I should say. Um, so my name, Deborah, means bee. And so I often, I, I always answer this question the same, is my animal that I most kind of relate with, is it bee, a busy bee? <laughs> <laughs> that's flitting here and there, but getting the work done, I think maybe even a worker bee, um, getting the work done, doing the things that need to be done, but producing something sweet and wonderful. Well, I have to tell you when I when I typed that question up and I sent it to you, that was exactly the animal <laughs> that I thought of you as a busy bee. That was really? exactly what I thought of. Did you of know? Myself. Did you know that Deborah means bee? No, I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, I would say she would be a bee, a busy bee. A bee? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
Oh, so that was perfect. That was perfect. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners don't know that Deborah and I are friends and we talk, we love to talk marketing. That is, you know, just one of the things that pulls us together. So I'm excited to hear your opinion on what's the best way to market your books. Tracy, that is something that I am continuing to learn each day. I, I actually, I just kind of basically have to say what my, uh, what things I'm learning and the, the targets I have for marketing my books. I, I think my next steps are um, learning more about Amazon ads, learning more about Facebook ads or um, ads or um, giveaways on Goodreads. So those are, those are the things I want to learn most about, I think, this, this coming year and for this book. That was perfect because we all want new ways to market our books. And Deborah, you and I um, put our heads together quite often about this. So tell us, what kind of research do you do and how long do you spend researching before you begin a book? Honestly, you know, when some people are writers, uh, I forget the phrase. Some people say they're pantsers and some say, I think some people say they're planners. Is that, is that the, the two plotter, Plotters Plotter. and pantsers. Plotters and pantsers. So mm -hmm. sometimes with research, I consider myself a bit of a pantser because as I'm thinking, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, let's, let's have them there. But I don't know about anything about that place. But we have this wonderful thing called the internet where you can easily look up, you know, incredible things. In my book, um, in Forbidden Truth, my character ends up in New York City and she and her, a couple of the reporters at the newspaper where she works are at um, the train station and Penn Station. And so I had to do a lot of research on Penn Station. Uh, where, you know, where it is actually, yeah. And so I had to do research on where it is. They, they actually just built a whole new addition to Penn Station um, that's across the street. And so I had to learn that. Where is it? Where? Because they would be here and, and, and they need to find what they're looking for in the Moynihan train station, which is the, the new um, part of Penn Station. Um, so all of those things I have to learn sort of on the fly as this, where the story takes me. So I, I think I'm a pantser when it comes to research. I think that I am a pantser as well. And I'll tell you why. The book that I'm writing, the story that I'm writing right now, I have my characters at the library looking something up. And I don't even know if they still use the microfilm stuff mm -hmm. to look old like newspaper articles up or do they go online? So one of my jobs next week is to go visit our library and find out because mm -hmm. I, need to, I need to be authentic. So that's yes. a pantser because I would have never thought to go find that out until I wrote it yeah. in the story and did didn't know the, the, the technical parts of it. So um, I think, I don't know about you, Deborah, but I, I sort of like the research. I learn yeah. new things every time I write a book. It is. It's incredible. And then the people you meet too, you know, a, a lot of times my, uh, my readers will be like, well, Hey, I think you should do it this way because of my knowledge in that area, you know? And I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> you know, come join me. Let me learn from you. And um, so that's been helpful too. And it's funny you mentioned the microfiche because in my first book, Forbidden Gift, um, I, I had a, one of my reporters um, at a library looking up newspaper articles. And because of the dates, I think he had to go back and look at the microfiche. And so he was threading a microfiche uh, reader. I used to work at a library when I was in college. And so I remember those big, huge clunky machines where you have to thread it through. And then there's this uh, screen that's you know in the front. And then you suddenly see this like film over top and yeah, I don't know if I would, I don't know if these things still exist, but um, if they do, that's what you're going to find out. 
So what our listeners are here for is to hear all about Forbidden Truth, which is book two of your Secrets of the Pen series. And for those readers who have read Forbidden Gift and now are starting Forbidden Truth, so we know that Johanna and Judah are back again in Forbidden Truth. And before we start really digging into this storyline, I'm going to go ahead and set the scene by reading your back matter, okay? Okay, sure. What happens when living the dream means losing yourself? Johanna Yoder can breathe again. Willow Brooks, once tyrannic Bishop Zook, has been replaced by God's true elect Gideon Hoshtetler. And the new bishop can't help but show some special leniency toward the aspiring Amish writer. Working at the Mountain Laurel Star newspaper while remaining Amish is a dream come true for Johanna. And as her love for the Englisher reporter Judah Barton steadily increases, so does a niggling suspicion that her former bishop rots in jail for a crime he didn't commit. Judah joins Johanna in her convictions, and together they seek to uncover the truth to what really happened that dark night over 40 years ago when three men were killed. But in the middle of searching for answers, Johanna finds herself struggling with a crushing crisis that comes from living a double life. Who is she really? Does Joanna have it in her to embrace what she needs most as she desperately fights for justice for a man who once wished her dead? I can tell you, Deborah, that I thoroughly enjoyed this storyline, and it's mainly because you left me hanging in book one. I needed to know exactly where Johanna and Judah were going to go moving mm-hmm. forward. So thank you for that. And anyone who reads, um, reads this, make sure you read Forbidden Gift first. So let me ask you a couple questions about the storyline. For one, if you had to describe your main character, Johanna, in three words, what would those three words be? Yeah, I thought about this earlier. Um, I I just love Joanna. So what I have for her is tenacious. Um, she is strong-willed, and but she's teachable. Those are perfect words, and I can see each one of those in her. So tell us, Deborah, where is this story set, and tell us a little bit about its location and how you did research for that particular area. Yeah, so this book is set in in Willowbrook, which is a fictitious Amish community, and it's near New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, um, where you write about as well, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually lived near there, not not there like you had, but um, I lived in Clarion, Pennsylvania, for about eleven years before moving down south. So. Uh, yeah, so whenever I was looking for an area to set my, uh, my book, I wanted something that was near to where I had been so that I can, could, could relate to the weather, could be very clear on what, what it, you know, just have, having lived there so long, what it felt like to be living there in that, that space. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's it. I actually picked Mercer County, Pennsylvania, my, um, which is the county, I believe, where New Wilmington is located. My agent at the time was saying, you really need something that has a courthouse. So when you're picking a location, pick somewhere that has a courthouse. So I went online. I was like, okay, where's the nearest courthouses in Northwestern Pennsylvania? And there was one in Mercer County. So that's the one I picked. Um, yeah, so I have been um, talking with a woman who gives tours in that area. And when I have questions about New Wilmington, 
besides yourself, Tracy, I'm sure I've asked you plenty of questions as well, but I do ask her questions from time to time too. You know, what, what would the people wear? What would they, um, what would they, oh, there was even one question I asked her recently about what they would wear on their heads when they're not, um, when they're not, you know, uh, going to church or, or being outside, maybe they're working out in the garden or something. So she was able to explain the whole blue kerchief thing to me that the blue scarf that they wear and um, things like that, coats and caps and what things are called. So, so that's the research that I've done so far. I'd love to visit the area. I really want to get up there and see it and just spend a couple of days looking around, taking pictures for research as well. It is a beautiful part of the country. And um, that sounds like a road trip in my books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So I have to ask you, most times when you submit a manuscript, your editor um, or your publisher requires you to move some scenes around. Sometimes they'll even have you delete scenes from the books. Did you have to edit anything out of this particular story? Well, there were certain scenes my editor was like, well, do we need this? And I, I was just hanging on to things, you know, yes, we need that. How can you take that away? We can't take that away. And I would know, you know, well, this is re referenced later on in the book, but um, so I would want to keep it. But there, when I read that, read that question, I actually had a funny thing came to my mind. It was something that I had to take out actually before it got to my editor. Good thing I did because it was kind of embarrassing. But um, I have a character in my book and his name is Winston Pierce. Um, he's a new character and I want to continue his character through some, some, some of my stories. But honestly, his name initially was Winsome because um, I saw on an election, election ballot that there was a Winsome running and I thought, I love that name. I love the name Winsome. And I thought it was a male name. In fact, I have a little funny part in my book where his... Um, his aunt calls him Winnie. And I sort of, we sort of make a little joke about that. But then as I was, I think it was like days before I was submitting it to my editor, I was like, you know what, I better look up that name. And it's actually a woman's name. I didn't know. It. <laughs> Forgive me all the, win the Winsomes who are listening, but I did not know Winsome was a female name. And I was like, no, I loved it so much. And he had been Winsome to me the whole book. You know how, when you have a character and you get to know them and they're, a, that's their name. So I had to look and see what comparable male names. And so he ended up being Winston. And so we still have our Winnie, our Winnie nickname that his aunt calls him. But I had to, I had to nix, nix the winsome. Oh, that's too funny. That's too funny. <laughs> so, so tell us, what do you hope your readers will take away from this story? In my stories, I always try to put, uh, put areas of, um, that would help somebody grow in their faith. Sometimes it's even things that I have learned in my own faith walk or um, things that I've studied or learned about in nonfiction books. And I'm like, you know what? I really want my characters to go through that learning process and grow in their faith, maybe in that same area. Um, so that's really my, my goal is that um, people would read this story and grow in their faith. Particularly this particular story deals with identity in Christ and learning who we are in Christ and just the, the victories that can come when you really know that, um, uh, when there's a lot of questions about that or you don't really know, you're just so prone to um, going this way and that way with the wind, you know, but when you do know who you are in Christ, there's a big solid foundation that starts to happen and a strength that happens. Um, and that, that happens to one of my characters in the book. So I hope that when my readers read this story, they would learn also who they are in Christ and grow in that way as well. You said that so beautiful. You just said that so beautiful. 
That's perfect. That's perfect. So I love this part of my interviews. Can you read us your first page or a pivotal scene that would really set the stage about the story? Yeah. So it was a toss up for me. There, there is a, a pivotal scene in the book that um, I was like, no, I can't read them that because then they'll know, you know, what happens. But so I picked another scene and then as you were reading my back cover blurb, I was like, no, I want to read that scene. So I'm like scrambling, trying to find it. So I think I'm going to go ahead and read this one because this one I feel like is in my heart that I want to read everybody. But there's one line in this scene that kind of really gets me. Um, it really just you know pokes me right in my heart. So I wanted to read this one. But just to kind of set the stage they're in New York City. Johanna's in New York City with Judah and Bertram. And they're looking for, um, for uh, I'll just say, they're looking for a man named Ernst. They've had a really, really rough time finding him. And they, uh, they have no idea where, how long he's, uh, what's happened to him since he's been there. They don't even know if he's alive. Um, but anyway, this scene uh, really touched my heart. And so I hope it touches, touches yours. They're, uh, they found where they think he lives. And they're talking to a guy that um, has actually been housing him for a, a year or so. So it's a friend of theirs. His name is Cosmos. So I think this is from Judah's perspective. So he's asking Cosmos, can we see Ernst or Ernie? We've been looking for him for a long time. And sure, sure, he's not here right now, but he should be back soon. He doesn't go far these days, not in this weather anyway. Hey, do you want to see where he lives while you wait? I didn't really like the sound of that, not with Johanna anyway, but I also didn't like the thought of her standing outside by herself either. I was trying to come up with a safer plan when Johanna beat me to it. Yeah, let's go see where Ernst is living. I shook my head as I watched her follow closely behind Cosmos as he led her and Bertram down some steps into what looked like a basement apartment. Thoughts of what could be down there came rushing in and I took the stairs two at a time to catch up. Although Cosmos was a clean enough looking guy, seeing how he lived was a whole different story. As soon as he opened his door and the smell came out, I knew we were in for it. The room was a disaster. A queen bed took up the living room with what looked like a good portion of the neighborhood's recycling crammed into boxes shoved against the wall. Dishes were piled high in a dingy sink that had been white porcelain in its heyday. Bert knocked his head on a string of fly tape thick with insects hanging from the ceiling, and I knew I had to talk fast before I lost my lunch. Do you want to see where Ernie stays? Cosmo pointed a thick finger down a dark hallway, and before Johanna happily stepped into that trap, I grabbed her hand and thanked Cosmos for the tour. You know, Cosmos, we really don't want to miss Ernst or Ernie when he returns. Okay, if we go ahead and wait outside? Sure, sure, no problem. I was going to see if I could make you guys some pastrami sandwiches. Cosmos shoved a few things off his counter into the already full sink, a roach or two scurried. Danky, but while waiting outside is probably a good idea, Johanna filed past me pretty quickly, and I couldn't tell if it was flies or something else Bertram was picking out of his hair as he also made a beeline for the door. I smiled, realizing it was the first time in my life I was happy to see a roach. Breathing in deep when, it came out, when we came out into the open air, I blew my nose to get the smell out of my nostrils. Cosmos came up behind me and held his hand to shade his eyes as he squinted in the sunlight. He jutted his chin out towards the crosswalk. Well, ain't that lucky. Here he is now. Looking in the direction Cosmos has gestured, gestured, I suppressed a groan. The man shuffling towards us definitely carried a homeless vibe. Even though he now wasn't technically on the streets, Ernst sure seemed like to, he seemed to like to dress the part. 
On top of his long gray hair, matted in spots, he wore a bright orange tassel cap. The man's pants must have been too big, or maybe he lost his belt because he used one hand to hold them up while he pushed his cart with the other. He nearly tripped a time or two as he shuffled on the backs of his two big shoes. Yo, Ernie, you got company. Cosmo smiled big and gave a wild wave while Ernst stopped and stared. Bertram introduced us and he and I stuck out our hands while Ernst backed up a step. I shot up a few more prayers. I had a bad feeling about this. The Ernst who was mayor of Mercer County over 40 years ago had definitely changed. We had to tread softly if we were gonna get any kind of information from him. Catching Bert's gaze, I could tell he felt the same. Sifting through my thoughts, I tried to come up with something that would calm Ernst before he shut down completely, but Johanna beat me to it. Come, Mr. Fisher, Johanna held out a gloved hand. Your brooder needs you. I stared up at the sky and bit my lip, my mind suddenly filled with all the excuses I would have to give to the star on how we blew this story. Johanna was new at this. Johanna had never met a homeless person in her life. Johanna... These and more I would later give to my mother and maybe even to Hilton when I explained how the interview of our lives slipped through our fingers. While I was staring up at the sky and thinking of excuses, Bert later told me I missed the upset of a lifetime when Ernst Glaze's expression cleared and he reached for Johanna through tattered fingerless gloves and the two of them made their way over to the bench to talk. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> that was the perfect scene to read. <laughs> That was the perfect yeah. thing to read. And, you know, I'm dying just to tell everybody <laughs> what happens, but I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them. So thank you so much, yeah. Deborah. And I, and I certainly hope our readers enjoy Forbidden Truth as much mm -hmm. as I did. And uh, what is next for Deborah? And can you tell us the name of book three that's coming yeah. up? Yeah, so probably no surprise, but we've got to develop this relationship between Johanna and Judah. It's coming on fast, and you know that something's got to happen, something's got to change. So it is called Forbidden Love. A perfect ending to a series, um, and um, I am sure that Joanna, Johanna and Judah will find their way to one another, but um, I'm excited to watch how you weave that storyline together. So is there anything you'd like to add or a message you'd like to give to your readers? Yeah, well, I want to let them know that, um, as you know, uh, that you and I are writing a Christmas book together. We are. So I wanted to let them know that um, that will be available sometime uh, in the fall. Is that what we're... Yep, uh, sometime in uh, maybe yeah, yeah. November. Yeah, for it's um actually I believe we'll probably put it up for pre-order um this summer, mm -hmm. but then we'll release it later this fall. But we've been having a lot of fun writing this story together. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was a great a great fun, and the cover is just beautiful. I'm so excited about the cover. We actually got sisters, actual sisters to pose for the cover. We did. We did an incredible job with the cover. And whenever she showed it to me, I was like, yes. I mean, it was like, it was like one of those things where you're like, oh, oh what if I don't like it? What if I, what am I going to say? And as she showed it, she texted it to me and I was like, this is perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. And it's a perfect picture of those two sisters. You, you can, so there is also a sisterly bond between the two, two uh, young women who pose for the book cover. And there's a sisterly bond between our characters, Sadie and Katie Byler as well. Yeah. 
I'm really excited about that Christmas story. And we will get back on probably in July and really introduce it to you all. And I don't want to take away from forbidden truth right now. But (laughs) one more thing I did want to do is just invite everyone who's listening, who loves Amish books to join my Facebook group. And it's the um, Amish book friends of Deborah Torres author. Uh, It's a growing group and we do a lot of fun things in there. And it's just filled with some really, really dynamic women lovers of Amish fiction and, um, and some uh, best-selling authors are in the group too. So uh, it's just a, a wonderful place. And, um, I just invite everyone to to join it if you'd like. And I think maybe Tracy can put the link in the show notes as I well. I definitely will. I definitely okay. will. I will. So thank you. So this takes us to one of my favorite parts of the interview. And that's this fun speed round that I like to play. And I'm going to just rattle a few questions off the top of my head. And then you can answer whatever comes to mind. Um, okay. And hopefully something will come to mind. <laughs> so are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Are you an ice cream or popsicle girl? Ice cream. Where is your favorite place in the whole world? Home. (laughs) Mine too. Mine too. Okay. If you could be one of your characters, who would you be? Um, I would be Kelly because I feel like I am already. (laughs) So tell us real quick who Kelly is if they they don't remember. Kelly actually is the publisher of the Mountain Laurel Star newsletter. She is um, Judah's mother and um, she is the me character in my books. Usually she's the gardener and she's a writer and um, a mom and just love Kelly. So yeah, definitely Kelly. And you are definitely Kelly. Every time I read her name in one of your books, I definitely see Deborah. But well, thank thank you so much, Deborah, for spending time with this week. And I look forward to hear more about your future projects here on the Buggy Talk. And we will have you back on when Forbidden Love launches. And like I said, we'll get us both back on to talk about the Christmas book that we are launching this fall. So, and to all of you listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of Forbidden Truth, look for the link in the show notes of this episode that you can find on my website at tracyfredikowski.com. And you know, I know that's really hard to spell, so I've made it easier for you. And you can also go to buggytalkpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors and all the great books they add to the Amish landscape. To end this episode, if you want more information on my latest release, which is Rebecca's Amish Heart Restored, or any of the stories I weave around my fictitious town of Willow Springs, I invite you to visit tracysamishbooks.com. That's Tracy with a Y at tracysamishbooks.com.